are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners. Glad to have you tuning in. We're going to be kicking off our annual free agent primers with one of Seattle's most important players set to hit the market. Plus, we'll be transitioning back to defense in our position-by-position yearly review looking at the linebacker group. This episode's brought your way by Get Upside. Download the free Get Upside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon back on your first tank. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We've been covering it for the last several weeks, and at this point, Rob, the Seahawks race to fill their defensive coaching staff has truly turned into a soap opera. It feels like as the world turns has been brought back into existence in the Pacific Northwest. Every day there's a new wrinkle, but today this was one that was out in left field. And I guess this is why this is proof that until the Seahawks themselves officially come out with a statement on social media indicating that a coach has been added to the staff, that you should not believe that that coach has been hired 110%. And that is Ed Donatel, who we had been talking about last week, what his impact might be on this football team, the longtime assistant, 10-year defensive coordinator with three different teams. We thought he was going to be joining Clint Hurt's staff here as a defensive consultant. But today, news breaking that that may not be the case, as he is now being thrown out as the front runner to become the Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator. And it would make some sense. We know that he's been a coordinator, a successful one at that for three different teams. The Vikings have an offensive head coach. They just hired a first time head coach in Kevin O'Connell. And so bringing in an experienced veteran defensive coordinator would make a lot of sense. And Donatel would certainly check off that box and that would leave the Seahawks without one of their prized defensive assistants that they hope to bring in this offseason. Yeah, that's the thing, Corbin. I mean, we, of course, cover the Seattle Seahawks. There's a lot of S's there. And S's with social media, S's with soap opera. Uh, you know, I mean, that that is kind of the theme of the day here. And I think that that is just kind of the way that things fit in now in, in, in 2022. When everybody is just kind of responding to what's going in on on social media, these reports, whether they actually wind up coming to fruition, I have no doubt that the Seahawks have a great deal of interest in Ed Donatel, a great deal of interest in Carl Scott, great deal of interest in uh, Sean Desai. But until their signature, again, another S, is on the bottom line, we just don't know for sure what's going to actually happen here. So to me, that's one of the things that's going to be fascinating here because I do think that all three of those coaches would be huge, huge additions to Seattle staff and, and very good coaches at that. So until, again, the signature is on that bottom line, we just don't know who they actually will wind up with. 
But again, I, I do think that all of them make a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. I, I think that Pete Carroll and his track record previously with, with Ed Dantel, you know, is one of the guys that you would love to have in Seattle because of that wealth of experience that he provides. At the same time, that's exactly why the Minnesota Vikings might be looking at him. We talked before about Sean Desai and, and why we were excited about him, talking about him a week or two ago when Seattle officially requested permission from the Chicago Bears to be able to have that conversation with him. So if he suddenly is coming to Seattle, that would be great. And then Carl Scott, as we talked about just in yesterday's show, Corbin, I mean, I, I think that Carl Scott makes a lot of sense. So either way, I, I think that the biggest news here is that the Seahawks are presumably going to be promoting Clint Hurt. That is one of the things that does feel like that is very, very likely to happen. And to me, if you already have Clint Hurt, a guy that I think is possibly on his on the way to perhaps becoming a NFL head coach, not just a defensive coordinator, um, then I, I do think that anybody else in Seattle is able to bring uh, of the three player or the three coaches, excuse me, that we just mentioned previously. Then I just think that would be the frosty on the cake because I do think that this is a team that is ready to bounce back next year. Yeah, this is just an interesting process that's playing out. And I think part of it this year is you had nine teams filling head coaching vacancies. There were more than usual this year. And then you add in the Brian Flores lawsuit and how it seems like that kind of sped up the ending of the search for a number of teams. I don't know if it was inadvertent or not, uh, but certainly there have been a lot of different factors at play here that seem to have made this just a very drawn out process for teams trying to hire coaches, especially when you're a team like the Seahawks, that you're retaining your head coach, you're keeping your offensive coordinator, you're just looking for a defensive coordinator. Obviously, that is a big position to fill. That is a huge vacancy on your staff. But teams that are getting head coaches, that is obviously, those are the crown jewels. There's only 32 of those in the entire NFL and so then you've got to wait for that dust to settle. And that's where the Seahawks are at now. They have zeroed in on a number of different candidates. And what's crazy about this is it is still plausible that they could end up with Donatel, Desai, and Scott all on the same staff. It is also possible you strike out on all three of these guys. I think at this point that Scott seems like he's the most likely. There have been some reports that have come out today. Bruce Feldman from the Athletic, a college reporter, that obviously has a lot of connections. He was another one that came out today saying the Seahawks were expected to hire Carl Scott as their defensive back and passing game coordinator coach. So I expect that that is going to happen. Again, nothing in ink at this point, but I think Scott of those three is the most likely to be on Pete Carroll's staff with the new defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt. And then at this point, with this new report with Donatel. It actually seems to me like Desai might be the second most likely to join the staff. You could have Desai and Scott with Clint Hurt. You've got two defensive back-oriented minds, guys that have coached really good football players at the college and NFL level. Desai, if he doesn't get this Vikings defensive coordinator job, there's probably not another defensive coordinator job in the NFL that's open for him because I expect Chris Richard, former Seahawks defensive coordinator, to be the Saints defensive coordinator now. I think that that move is inevitable. And the Texans, I don't know they're even going to hire one because Lovey Smith is going to be making the calls on defense as the head coach. So you suddenly don't have any options. Now, maybe Desai decides to stay with Donatel, their past connections in Chicago. Maybe Donatel hires him on his staff 
with the Vikings. How ironic would that be after he just interviewed for that defensive coordinator position? There's just so many moving parts. Like I said, this is just this is a soap opera. Every day we're getting new information on who might be on Seattle staff and who isn't. At this point, uh, it's anyone's guess which of these three coaches are going to be on Seattle staff in 2022. Yeah, no, that's the thing is that I, I've always called this the McDonaldization of our society, that we all want the instant access, you know, immediately. And and that is just not how the NFL is going to work. I mean, of course, we, we are recording today's show the Wednesday before the Super Bowl. Um, and, and so there's going to be a lot of moving parts after the last game of the 2021-2022 NFL season concludes. And, and so, yeah, th there's going to be some really qualified coaches out there who are hoping to, to sign that bottom line with the NFL team before that last game of this season concludes. But there's going to be a lot of other good coaches out there who are still around because there's going to be a lot of teams out there who are still really intrigued by the possibility of bringing in a coach from whoever winds up hoisting the Lombardi trophy here in just a couple of days. So there are very much still some moving parts. There are going to be some conversations, uh, you know, at, at the NFL scouting combine here in just a couple of weeks from now. And so I don't know that this is necessarily something that the Seattle feels like they have a great deal of, uh, you know, urgency in, in filling. Um, because there, there's so much that's going to happen before the Seattle absolutely has to find whatever their staff is going to be. So, again, I, I think that the biggest move has already been made. It does feel like a basic certainty at this point that Clint Hurt is going to be at least the primary defensive coordinator. Maybe he has a co-defensive coordinator role. Perhaps that's going to be the case. But I, I do expect at least one of the three men that we mentioned before to coming to Seattle, and I think that none, honestly, none of this actually matters as much because Seattle does have a defensive-minded head coach who, let's be real, is going to be the kind of ultimate chess master anyways. He, nobody is going to come in from a defensive standpoint and going to be able to tell Pete Carroll how to run his defense. And so that's ultimately what this comes down to is that they have to have a coordination of the mind, so to speak, of whoever Seattle brings in. And I just think that we're talking about three incredibly gifted coaches, obviously with a guy like Donatel, one who has a great deal more experience. But at the same time, I'm also very, very intrigued by the upside that is Carl Scott as well as Sean Desai. So to me, this is it's not one of those 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 uh, conversations that I would say is can Seattle get one of these guys and you know who is the worst of them that, that Seattle might be able to bring? I think Seattle would be fortunate to get any of these three guys, and they might get all three of them. To me, again, this is a team I believe is, is prime for a bounce back and all the more reason why all three of these coaches might wind up signing with Seattle because they see this as an opportunity to bounce their own careers as well. And I will just finish off saying this. For fans that would be upset – at Ed Donatel for making this decision. He's at the stage of his career. This might be the last opportunity he has to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Pete Carroll's not going to tell him not to take this job. If he hasn't signed the dotted line to join the Seahawks staff, he's going to be telling him, hey, Ed, you and I are close. We're good friends. We've coached for years together. You go take that job. Pete Carroll's not going to be the one to block him from going to the Vikings for a far superior position compared to a defensive consultant. So, Fans just had to keep that in mind. There's nothing wrong with this decision if this opportunity was presented to him. We're going to get to free agency primers here in a moment. One of Seattle's biggest free agents, Rob and I, will be discussing 
whether or not that player will be back in Seattle in 2022. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's officially Super Bowl week. We're just a few days from the big game. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast brought to you by Get Upside. They are dishing out outstanding content all week long leading up to the big game between the Rams and the Bengals. So make sure to download on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. Let's get to free agency. I know it's crazy saying this, Rob, since the Super Bowl still is a few days away. We're not quite done with this season, but free agency starts on March 16th, just a little over a month from now. We only got a handful of weeks and teams are going to be trying to sign players Seattle's got 15 unrestricted free agents set to hit the market, several of them being starters. We're going to start with one of the biggest names that is set to hit the market for the Seahawks, and that is safety Quandre Diggs, earned his second Pro Bowl nod in a row, was a starter, did not get to play in the actual game. Quite frankly, didn't look to me like he missed anything by not playing in that game, but just the opportunity to be able to do that. I mean, he was snubbed for several years in Detroit, his first year in Seattle, gets the opportunity to be a pro bowler and each of the last two years, he's not been able to play because of the pandemic and a fractured fibula that he suffered in the season finale. But there's no question about it. He was one of the most valuable players on Seattle's roster this past season, 94 tackles, the team leading five interceptions. He had five picks the year before Rob. He is the only player in the NFL over the last five seasons that in each of those five seasons, has at least three interceptions, and his 19 picks during that time, that's the fifth most in the entire NFL. So we've talked about this time and time again. He's one of the most underrated playmakers in the league on defense, one of the best ball hawks out there at the safety position, and he has truly turned center field into a no-fly zone for the Seahawks since they traded for him in 2019. Yeah, no, he absolutely has. He's a really good football player, Corbin. I mean, and, and, and kudos to the Seahawks for, you know, pulling him out of Detroit in the first place. I mean, it was a, a remarkable trade on John Schneider's, uh, you know, on John Schneider's side. At the same time, I think it's going to be interesting to see what that Quandra Diggs is going to be able to land in terms of a contract, whether it be from Seattle or elsewhere, because this is also a player who next season is going to turn 30. He's going to be entering his eighth NFL season. He is ending this year on IR. He he is a guy who was undersized. He is facing a safety class in terms of the draft that is above average, as well as a free agent class at the safety position that is above average. And so what type of contract does that actually mean for Quandre It breaks my heart. That, that he suffered the injury that he did in that final game because there is in no question in my mind that he was Seattle's most consistent defender a year ago. But Corbin, a, a year ago, you and I were having a conversation about how important that K.J. Wright was to the Seattle Seahawks, and obviously they cut ties on that, and that is a guy that 
who had, you know, that much more history in Seattle. And, and so, again, to me, this is going to be fascinating. I think that Seattle would be a worse team if they don't have Quandre Diggs. That does not mean that Quandre Diggs is a guarantee, of course, to come back. So uh, I think that this is one that, that is going to be a much more interesting, uh, I, I would argue the word should be fascinating, uh, conversation about what Seattle is going to offer Quandre Diggs. And if they don't offer him the contract that he wants, that I would argue that he may deserve based on what he's done already. I, that, that's not the conversation the NFL teams have. If they don't care about what you've done for me lately. They don't care about what you did for me previously. They care about what can you do for us in the future. And I am telling you right now that the safeties that are competing against Quandre Diggs are enough that it is no guarantee that he is going to get the big-time contract that arguably his play previously warrants. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's just unfortunate that that injury happened in the fourth quarter of the final game of the season. He was 10 minutes away from becoming a free agent, coming off a phenomenal season. He got some All-Pro votes. I still believe he should have been an All-Pro selection, at least second team. When you look at the numbers that he put up, almost 100 tackles and five picks. And I know the Seahawks defense has had issues defending the pass, but it has not been because of their free safety play. Like I said a moment ago, Teams don't test the Seahawks throwing post routes and down the seam because they know they're going to get picked off. And Quandre Diggs has done that to pretty much every quarterback in the NFC West. He picked off his buddy Matthew Stafford, who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl this next weekend. He picked him off twice this year. In both games they played against the Rams, he had interceptions. He's just one of the best ball-hawking safeties in the sport. And so that injury, there is a chance because he is going to be 30 next year. Teams may be looking at all those variables together, and they might be a bit cautious about giving him a multi-year deal with $10, $11 million per year, but he has earned that contract. I can at least say this from Seattle's perspective, and we've talked about this time and time again. You can make the arguments against the age and the fact he's coming off this injury, and you can look at the fact that you know, you've already paid Jamal Adams a $70 million contract for four years giving another big contract at safety might not be a tenable situation. You can throw all those variables out, in my opinion, because this is an incredibly important position in Pete Carroll's defense. I don't care if they're transitioning to doing more too deep safety looks. This is still going to be Pete Carroll's defense. You need to have an elite ball hawk at free safety, especially when he was the only guy that could create turnovers for you consistently in the last couple of years. You need to have that guy around. And not just that, his value goes beyond what he does on the field. This is one of your unsung leaders in the locker room. One of the most respected players, both by coaches and teammates alike. And just letting him walk, I just think it would send a bad message. And you're mentioning that the cost might go down a little bit. You would think that the Seahawks, if that's the case, that they are going to pounce on this. And they've been willing to pay two safeties big bucks at a time. They did it with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. I still think that Quandre Diggs has a lot of really good football in him. You look at the skill set that he brings to the table, the versatility, his toughness, his mindset, his leadership capabilities. Yeah, there are certainly some reasons why you could consider maybe it's not a great idea to give this player a multi-year deal, but I think the Seahawks absolutely have got to find a way to make this happen. In fact, I'll go as far as saying that if you don't, if you're not comfortable, you can bring him back when free agencies getting close to starting. 
you pull out that franchise tag and you use it. This would be one case where I think John Schneider would strongly consider it if he has not already agreed to a new contract with Quandre Diggs. you got to find a way to keep this guy. He's just too important, Rob. No, I, I agree with you that in, in Pete Carroll's defense, the free safety position is critical. We, we, we've talked about that many times, Corbin, and, and I do believe that Quandre Diggs, his play, his toughness, his uh, you know playmaking ability, um, you know all these different things. I mean, they all suggest that that he should be priority number one. I, I just don't know that he's going to be. And that's the thing is I think that that I, I just look at, you know, look at the tea leaves and just looking at the, the other guys who are out there in terms of free agency. Uh, you know, Marcus Williams, for example, we had a conversation just yesterday about the New Orleans Saints. Marcus Williams, the, the free safety from the New Orleans Saints, is also a free agent and he's 26 and he's a good football player, too. And so he's going to get a lot of money. And again, this draft class, I've been kind of breaking down this, this year's safety class here. And, and I'm telling you, it's a pretty good one. The, the, the safety who is likely to be on the board at number 41 overall for the Seahawks is going to be a really good football player. He might just be the best player available at that point. And then you said the kind of elephant in the room is that you've already allocated significant dollars to Jamal Adams. Now, I'm not saying that Quandre Diggs should not be brought back by the Seahawks. I think that he should, but I made an argument, you and I each made an argument a year ago at this time, that K.J. Wright should be back as well. And obviously, Seattle, again, decided to make a different decision there. And so I think that there's one other thing that we have not yet mentioned, because I think that you've made some excellent points so far. And again, I think that Quandre Diggs should be back. But I think that Seattle, part of the reason why Seattle decided to go in a different direction to linebacker position a year ago is because they had such faith in Jordan Brooks. And we saw what Jordan Brooks was able to do. We're going to have that conversation a little bit later. But at the same time, I think the Seattle is very much intrigued, even though he has struggled with durability, with what Marquise Blair has flashed. And that's and he such a not, huge risk, though, Rob. That's a huge it, it risk. Is. It is. It is. And at the same time, that's the salary cap, you know, era that we live in. It's the McDonaldization kind of era that we live in. We want immediate impact right now. And so that to me is going to, this is going to make, to me, everybody's going to focus in on Rashad Penny. And I think that they are 1A, 1B, even bigger than Dwayne Brown. I think those are the two hugest conversations here for the Seahawks. We talked about already, what are they going to do as far as, you know, the defensive passing coordinator, all that to me, that that stuff doesn't talk that, that stuff doesn't matter as much. That's the X's and O's. These are the Jimmys and Joes. And Quandra Diggs is one of Seattle's best football players. But I don't think that is a guarantee that they are going to bring him back. And I think there's a lot of people out there, not necessarily you, sir, but I think there's a lot of people out there who just assume that Seattle is going to bring back Quandre Diggs. And I don't know that that is a guarantee. We'll see. It's going to be a fascinating conversation moving forward. I just think that if you go into this next season, and I talked about a safety that I like in this class yesterday on our show. JT Woods from Baylor is a guy in day three that I think you can get, that I think could be a starter and be a very good one in the NFL. But we know that the draft is a roll of the dice a lot of the time, especially when you're talking about players that are past the top 10. Even the top 10, there are guys that don't pan out. We see it year in, year out. And you have to remember as fans what the Tedrick Thompson experience looked like after Earl Thomas left. Do you want to be in that same boat? Because that's why you had to trade for Quandre Diggs in the first place. 
is because your solution trying to move on from Earl Thomas ended up backfiring horrendously. So if you go with a rookie, even in this good class, or you try to go with Marquise Blair, who has not shown he can play more than five plays in a row without getting hurt. I mean, it's similar to Rashad Penny, but he's had multiple severe injuries. So I just don't know that you can put your faith in him. I think he could be good enough to be your starting free safety if he could stay healthy, but there's just so many moving parts here. If, if Quandre Diggs was a year or two older, I think this would be a tougher discussion for me, but I think you've got to bring him back if you're John Schneider. If that means you have to use the franchise tag to extend that negotiating window, then so be it. But I think a three-year deal around $32 million, I know that's a lot of money in the safety position, but I just think he is way too important a player. I'm putting the, the position aside for a second and saying, what are the best players that are going to help me win football games? Quandre Diggs is one of those guys. I, I would argue that that he had two spectacular seasons the last couple of years, and, and Seattle obviously didn't make the playoffs this past year, and then last year got bounced in division, you know, in the opening round, and and so that I think is going to be the conversation that Seattle has to have is that you had two very good safeties a year ago, and yet still didn't walk out with anything anything close to a ring. And so, again, I, I think, think this is going to be a fascinating conversation when I look forward to uh, conversing with you, not necessarily debating with you, because I think that we actually feel very similarly about this. But I just don't think that it is the black and white issue that a lot of Seahawks fans out there believe that it is. We're going to have a lot of more opportunities to talk about this before we actually get to the start of free agency. We're going to flip to linebackers, continuing our position-by-position position review in a moment, breaking down Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, and company, the 2021 season, and what the future might look like at that position. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right. Thanks to Built Bar, it almost feels like it's not really resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. I enjoy eating them way too much. I had three of them today. I might have a problem. And the biggest issue is Built Bar Puffs. First ever protein-infused marshmallow. They are delicious. Fluffy, marshmallowy, not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. I can't stop eating the banana cream ones. So really, the you know the health benefits. If you eat three or four, they kind of go out the window. But my 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 lift was really good today. All built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, and that includes the built bar puffs. Low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these; they are much better. Go to built.com and scroll down the macros chart. You'll be blown away by the high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb options. We're talking 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Amazing flavors to choose from, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and of course their new one this month, white chocolate, cookies, and cream. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every single time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Hey, 12, check out this incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon or more on your first fill up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. 
You can cash it out in a number of different ways, including your bank account, PayPal, and an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon or more cash back on your first tank. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing our position-by-position review, yesterday we talked receivers. Going to flip back over to the defensive side of the football, the linebacking unit. Again, I believe was a strength for the Seahawks defensively. There were some issues this year in terms of pass coverage. That is an area where it looks like Bobby Wagner is continuing to decline. Jordan Brooks, he's made improvements, but that is still an area of his game that looks like maybe it's the most unpolished pro football focus credited him with giving up more than a 1,000 receiving yards this year. So he's certainly got room to grow going into year three. But overall, again, another really strong season with both Wagner and Brooks having 170 or more tackles. Cody Barton played well in spot starts. They got some good special teams play from John Radigan as an undrafted rookie. And Tanner Muse came in and gave him some contributions on special teams as well. So overall, it feels like this group played pretty darn well during the 2021 season. I think that they did play pretty well. I think that if you look at it from an analytical standpoint, that the Seattle's linebackers were arguably the top unit in, in all of the NFL, at least in terms of tackle statistics. I mean, certainly with what Jordan Brooks and, and Bobby Wagner you know, posted this past season. I mean, Corbin, you and I called it. I mean, sometimes we got to give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back. We, we said that these two guys were going to be – two of the top 10 tacklers in the NFL. And we were saying that way back in July during training camp. And that's exactly what they wound up being. Now at the same time, that's partially because Seattle's defense, so many around them kind of frankly stunk a little bit. And there was a lot of tackles out there and a lot of playing time out there to take full advantage of. Uh, and, and so to me, this you have to look a little bit deeper than that. This isn't about the tackle numbers. It's about how many impact plays did you produce? Um, you know, this is the linebacker position. I mean, in the college football realm, they call this the Buckus Award because these are the guys who actually change the game. And that would be the conversation I think that we have to have is whether it be Jordan Brooks, whether it be Bobby Wagner, how many plays did they make that change games? And so to me, this is going to be, again, another fascinating conversation, kind of like we just had before at the free safety position with Quandre Diggs, the pending free agent here, um, is that did Bobby Wagner make as many game-changing plays as his salary suggests that he should, especially with the way that the game has changed over the last couple of years, the, the, the interior and, and intermediate targets that we see in the NFC West division with guys like George Kittle, guys like, uh, you know, with, with Cooper Cup, for example, um, you know, and obviously the, the bevy of weapons that the Arizona Cardinals have. You know, and so to me, this is again a very fascinating conversation here because obviously Bobby Wagner is still under contract, as is Jordan Brooks. Obviously, we've seen some flashes from Seattle's young linebackers, Cody Barton, as you mentioned, BBK, John Radigan, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time, how many times did they actually make those game-changing plays? And if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna allocate as many funds as Seattle has, or as many high draft picks as they did with the former first-round pick in Jordan Brooks, then you need to have some big-time plays. I just didn't see quite as many of those as their lofty statistics would suggest. 
Yeah, it does feel like, and I kind of hinted at this when we started this segment, the numbers, and you mentioned the, just the sheer number of plays the Seahawks ran this year, they were head and shoulders above every other team in the league in regard to how, much, how many plays that they had ran against them. So there were a lot more opportunities. Those numbers in the tackling department were certainly inflated because of that. And so it feels like those numbers, while they're great, they kind of run a little bit hollow just because of the circumstances. But still, to me, the biggest issue when you're looking at this group, they were productive. You did get all those tackles. Jordan Brooks, I thought, had more impact plays than Bobby Wagner did. He had 10 tackles for loss, so he was more active behind the line of scrimmage. The few times they did blitz him, Jordan Brooks was a pretty effective uh, blitzer. Bobby Wagner still was as well. But Wagner didn't have those tackles for loss this year. He was getting a lot of tackles five, six yards downfield. And those are not necessarily good tackles. Obviously, you'd want him making those stops and not having him miss those tackles and get to safeties and stuff because you're giving up even more yardage. But he just wasn't making the plays downhill that we've seen him make in the past, at least as consistently. And the sideline to sideline pursuit, it just isn't there. Not the way that it used to be. Teams can make they can make work of him out in space. We saw it in the game against the Bears. Cole Kmet, the tight end, how he was just able to juke Bobby Wagner in space on what should have been an easy stop to force a punt, and he gets a first down. You see plays like that consistently. I think I think some of the missed tackles that Bobby Wagner had this year are because of, in large part, the diminished athleticism that he's bringing to the table now. At 31, soon to be 32, he is still a very good football player. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not. He was a second-team All-Pro selection, whether you agree that he deserved that or not. He racked up 170 tackles, and I think this defense would have been a lot worse without him on the field. But with his age getting up there, he's going to be entering year number 11, diminishing athleticism, which was always a big calling card in his game. He's got a great football IQ to help offset that. But at some point, those athletic limitations are going to be a problem. And I think we started to see it this year with teams taking advantage of him in coverage, particularly getting receivers tucked behind him. And really, he had his share of struggles in that regard. So it was a good season for him. And I think that's the reason we're now having this discussion. What do you do with that $20 million cap hit? Because he is not that player anymore. He's still good, but he's not that player. And then you got Jordan Brooks, who looks like he's an ascending talent, has a lot of room to grow, looks like he's ready to take the torch. Seattle's got to figure out, is the time now to have him hand off that torch to Brooks? Or do we go another year where these two are working together? That's really the $20 million question right now. It really is. And we, we had a very similar conversation yesterday when we were talking about wide receivers. Um, you know, you, you of course, at the wide receiver position, have two superstars in, in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But what happens if either one of those players gets injured? Then suddenly it is a season ender potentially for the Seahawks. Let's just assume that they do bring back Bobby Wagner. And they, of course, have Jordan Brooks as well. Both of them, obviously, are still under contract. What if either one of those players suffers an injury? You know, as we saw with Bobby Wagner toward the tail end of the season, we saw flashes of, of Cody Barton and what he might be able to do. Did it really change much? 
And if that's not the case, if it didn't change much, then why are you allocating $20 million that perhaps could be allocated instead to an impact pass rusher, to a true lockdown cornerback? I mean, again, these are the conversations that Seattle, with a little bit more salary cap flexibility than they've had in previous years, certainly twice as many draft picks, more than twice as many draft picks as they had a year ago. These are the types of conversations that you have to have. To me, this is a conversation where you have to think, okay, we we know what the Seahawks have traditionally done. We know that, that Bobby Wagner is one of the most revered, most respected, most admired men, not just football players, men that the Seattle Seahawks have ever brought into their franchise. What if he played for the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick? Do you think that he would still be on this roster in 2022? And are you looking to win titles or are you looking to just kind of pad statistics? Are you looking to, to build with the, you know, the ring of honor? And that is a conversation the Seahawks have to have with themselves. So it, very similar conversations. We just had a couple of moments ago about Quandre Diggs. Do I want to see number 54 on the field for the Seahawks? Of course. I, I want to see him retire as a Seahawks. I think that he is one of the great Seahawks of all time. But I also think there's a lot of people out there who want the Seahawks to win a Super Bowl, and that requires playmakers. And we haven't seen a lot of playmakers uh, from Seattle's linebacking core. And that, to me, again, is a huge conversation, especially when you have the huge contract that Bobby Wagner has. Yeah, this is going to be the big talking point for the next several weeks. What are they going to do in that regard? I, I still think that, you know, adding a void year like they did with Dwayne Brown a year ago to lower his cap hit some and keep him around makes sense because he's still a good player. I mean, you and I are not arguing that he can't play still, but he is not what he was two or three years ago when you gave him this contract where he was going to have this 20 plus million dollar cap hit. You just can't justify that. So they're going to have to figure that out. I think this team is at their best this next season with Wagner and Brooks playing together, but it's got to be at the right price point. And so that's going to be the discussion point. And if you move on from Wagner, is Cody Barton the guy or do you go to the draft? Where does Ben Burkirvan fit into this mix coming back from a torn ACL? John Radigan's also going to be coming back from a torn ACL. Where does he fit in? Does he play at all on defense? I mean, there are a lot of question marks there if you decide to move on. Bobby Wagner and even if you keep him you've still got to be looking towards the future I guess the one thing I am hoping for next year this is partly serious and part humor but I'm really hoping the Seahawks play in Germany and Aaron Doncor makes his NFL debut in Germany speaking of another linebacker that's gonna be potentially back on the roster next season but nonetheless uh, this is a group that you know we'll see I, I I would predict right now that number 54 is still on the roster but I do think there's going to be something done with that contract whether that is adding an extra season doing some type of a non-common restructure we'll see what they decide to do but I can't see the Seahawks hanging on to him at that 20 plus million dollar cap hit there's just no way that that is tenable with some of the other needs they've got on the roster and so there's certainly some question marks at linebacker moving towards the future as always we appreciate you making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week now make sure to check out the locked on bets podcast your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs locked on bets is hosted by your boy q with expert analysis and insight from lee sterling you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, I'm going to be riding solo, continuing our free agent primers. We'll be checking out one of the defensive linemen set to hit the market for the Seahawks. 
on March 16th. And continuing our position-by-position review, I'll be looking at the tight end group, how things went in 2021, and what the future may hold there at the tight end position. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.